Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Toddler Purgatory, as we like to call it, Todd Purgs. Todd Purgs. I'm Molly, one of your co-hosts. Hey, hey, I'm the other co-host. Co-host. Blair. And today we're talking about comfort items. Y'all know what we're talking about here. We're talking binkies. We're talking loveys. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about your boxed wine. That is one of my comfort items. I snuggle <laughs> it at night. Snuggle, snug. Snuggle, snuggle. Oh, man. Babies. <laughs> and their comfort items. And some people call it, in these articles, transitional objects. Oh. Which I think was illuminating for me because I have never heard that phrase before. Yeah, what does that mean? So it means when your baby is transitioning from truly believing in their tiny nine-month-old brain that your body and their body are the same. So then around nine months or so, they start realizing that they are their own person. Oh, wow. Yes. Like they're in that developmental stage or whatever. It says about, this is from an article on what to expect.com. They say about 60% of babies at that time adopt a comfort or security object by around nine months of age. Some kids never do. That's fine. And it's essentially not taking your place per se, not taking the place of the primary comfort giver up until that point, but providing that same level of security. And they say that happens around nine months. Okay. I forget that whole thing that like babies come out and they still think that they're one with you. Mm -hmm. I just dumbly forget that. Was your little one attached to anything? Did he have any transitional items? He transitioned from my left breast to my right breast. (laughs) (laughs) And then back again. For quite a long time. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> round, round we go. He never had... Well, I had one of those kids who... I was home with him. I was lucky enough to be home with him for the first year, year and a half or so before he started going to daycare a couple of days a week and then more and then more and then more <laughs> as I went back to work more and more and more. But in those early days, he took a bottle a little bit and then not really after that. And then he... I think he used a pacifier a couple times just because he was like, this is chewy. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, I don't like it. <laughs> and spit it out. <laughs> and never really took a pacifier after that. And trust me, I tried all of them, including the ones that make them look like they have a mustache, which is very funny to me. So funny. So cute. But even from the first days, he was sort of uninterested. And that has progressed or did progress. He's five and a half now. Throughout his early childhood, where he also never really had a a special teddy bear or a special stuffed animal. He has plenty. Mm -hmm. He has a a big basket of them in his room. And every once in a while, I'll see him cuddle Zebe, the zebra, or cuddle, you know, he does have a little bear, we call it, is a little white bear. It was a hand-me-down from a friend. And then in five minutes, it'll be under his bed and he won't ask for it or think about it. So he's never really been a comfort item kid. Mm -hmm. Yours? Yeah, same with mine. Well, my son... You know, when I was pregnant and people were giving me stuff, I got a lot of wubba nubbas. Oh, yeah. So many wubba nubbas. That's the pacifier attached to the stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, these are great. And I'd always see kids with them. So I was like, oh, these must be like the magic thing. And my kid was like, I'm good. Thanks. So he never took to it. But ironically enough, we went on a trip. Where did we go? We flew to Ireland hey. with him when he was like... A year and some change, and we put it in his mouth in the airplane, a pacifier, and he took to that thing. And I think it's because it helped his ears, mm-hmm. and then it also like calmed him. So he was like on a pacifier kick. He called it his pa because it kind of sounds like how people in Ireland 
Call the fathers. <laughs> my pa. And my ma. My pa. <laughs> so we had that for a good long while. And it kind of scared me because I was like, uh-oh, we have an addiction issue. <laughs> right. Because you introduced it a year and a half, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it was actually easy because you just did it for nap time. So then I just slowly transitioned out of it. I was like, okay, you can have it for two minutes just to put you to bed and then you got to give it to me. You can't fall asleep with it, you know? And it, luckily, oh, knock on wood, knocking my big donkey head. Thank God it worked. And my daughter, she's like, no, thank you. I'm talking all of the time. I need nothing in my mouth to stop me from doing so. That is great. That sounds on brand. Or loveies or stuffies, just nothing on brand. She's just like, I don't need a friend. I don't need a parent. I don't need comfort. I don't need you. Take that away from my mouth. That's great. I love it. She's going to be president someday. I hope so. Yeah. Well, here's the wild thing. I was reading on the Late J League website that it wasn't until the 1950s that comfort items for babies and children was starting to be regarded as normal. What? Can you believe that? Yes. 1950s? What? 1950s. So before that, they would essentially like... Good luck, kid. Your mom's gone and you're on your own. I mean, considering the things that kids eventually find to put in their mouths, I'm pretty sure it was like cray-cray back then. Yes. You know, that was one of the things they said was kids have been known to embrace everything from pacifiers during this time of transition to cloth diapers, just like nuzzling that diaper. Just mm, Mm. to T-shirts, to empty plastic bottles, which is amazing. (laughs) Yes. That would drive you nuts. But it is so important. And I, you know, the fact that before the 1950s, they, it just wasn't part of parenting. It wasn't what pediatricians and baby experts at that time said. And then by the 1970s, even Dr. Spock and another eminent childcare writer named Penelope Leach, they were all saying the same thing. They were advocating the introduction of comfort items to help babies manage times of separation. Interesting. Yeah. Thank goodness we live in a time where we have the benefit of all this research that has been done and these people coming around to ways that we can, you know, it's just like attachment parenting. Yeah. Which I had never heard of, never thought about, never saw on TV, none of those things when I was growing up. And now it's, you know, widely practiced. Yeah. Like sidebar, like I often think about like just as I'm like going about my day parenting, doing my thing. Yeah. I often think of like slavery times pioneer times, like just times when people didn't have any of this stuff that we have now. Like, how did they do it? Yeah. And also didn't have the support. But then again, look how naturally all of this comes to us, you know? Mm -hmm. It probably did the same thing in the times, but I'm just like, how did you all like survive without Netflix? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) How did you survive without Cocoa Melon? That's crazy. (laughs) Well, it's funny to even think like I started to look at this research and you start to feel like so many things in parenting (laughs) bad. I was like, did I do something wrong? Like I should have made him use that pacifier. I should have, you know, put that stuffed toy in his hand or whatever. Like, but only 60 percent, 60% is a large amount, but that means 40% of kids never really need it. So don't worry about it. Every kid is so, so different. And also there's no real consensus on why this is. And some kids do and some kids don't. Mm-hmm. 
you know, is it because some parents are able to be more present is, you know, to parents who are practicing attachment parenting, does that mean their kids will never need a comfort item? Apparently, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> because every kid is so different. On that La Leche League article, women named Karen Fortuna and others studied twins who attended daycare for differing hours per day. They found that for children who spent only half days in daycare, the rates of object attachment were only 27.3%, whereas for those in full daycare, the rates rose to 35.6%. Mm. And that kind of says to you, oh, okay, that must be it. That, you know, that the kids who are spending more time at home just don't need it as much. But there are so many factors, as we all know. Oh, yeah. In a person's childhood and babyhood that affect what they need and that kind of thing. It's they have different needs, differing environments, differing everything. So it may not having a close attachment with your mom may not be a clear predictor of being able to do without a special cuddly toy. You know, I got to tell you. When I was growing up overseas and I went to daycare, I remember that every kid, all myself included, I had Teddy. I had a special object. Really? Mm-hmm. I remember, like, just as we're talking about this, I was like, oh, yeah, like, that was a thing. And I remember, like, sitting in a circle in our daycare, like, aftercare, and when we sat in the circle, everyone had something. I mm. totally remember this. And now I'm thinking, that makes sense. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that we all were moving every two to three years and getting into these like new and different environments constantly. Oh, and that was your constant support, the consistency of it. Yeah. Yeah. My Teddy was. Oh, yeah. Let's not talk about how I lost Teddy on a Pan Am flight coming back to the United States in 1988. Really? It was a life-changing, life-altering, very emotional sitch for Blair. I bet. It was bad. Do you have any, like, what do you recall about it? 88, so you were seven or eight years old. Mm -hmm. So what do you recall about it? I remember we got off the flight and I was looking around and I didn't have Teddy. And I was like, anybody seen Teddy? Nobody's seen Teddy. And then I went into instant. That was probably the first time I probably, like, felt panic. Mm. And... I just remember just like looking around and I remember like the smell of the airport for some reason, like things just got really heightened for me. Yeah. And I went into like full breakdown mode. In fact, my dad has a picture of me crying. Oh gosh. I don't know if that was intentional or if he was like trying out the new camera that he got from vacation. (laughs) Well, if it was more modern times, I would say it's intentional because we all feel like we have to capture every moment of our children's childhood. Yeah, I feel like it was a new camera. Dad was like, oh, let's see how this works, Blair. Perfect timing. (laughs) Yeah, and I lost them and we stayed at the airport. They checked, you know, on the plane for us. Oh, they did. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, it was a whole rigmarole and... It was a long time that it took me to get over that. I had a hard time sleeping and sometimes still think about it to this day. And then my replacement, Teddy, my kids now have. But they're like, who's this guy? This is old. Here's something, too. <laughs> this is like kind of embarrassing to admit. But I slept with my teddy bear way longer than I should have. And when I started dating my husband, he was like, yo, he can't sleep with us. And I was like, yo, he was here first. I get it. He's my homie, okay? He keeps me safe at night. He keeps me feeling like the woman that I am. Oh, yeah. And Bill was like, get out of here. (laughs) The writer, the author of the La Leche League article said the exact same thing. She had a puffin. And when her mother had to repair its beak, she couldn't understand why her mother wasn't anesthetizing the 
Puffin. Of course. And then she moved out, maybe to a different country or something. And then when she came back, oh yeah, she, cause she lives in East Asia somewhere right now. I can't remember where. And then when she goes back home to wherever she grew up, she takes the puffin, or I think it's called puffin, mm-hmm. off the shelf and sleeps with it, much to her husband's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> but she said, there has been nothing else in my life. This is not a direct quote, but she said something like, there has been nothing else in my life as consistent mm. and providing the love and security immediately. Immediately. And she's an adult woman. So I get it. I get it. Did you have anything like that? Am I the only one sitting in this? <laughs> Every once in a while... Like I did have really when I was older, I had like favorite stuffed animals. I don't remember when I was young, like during this transition time, because they say that most kids give up their comfort item or transitional object between the ages of two and five. Oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, though, no, that's okay. That's all right. But then in their older kids, and when they have it, when they comfort that stuffed animal, when they comfort that doll, it's like comforting a baby version of themselves mm. because that's what's inside of all of us, right? Is this sensitive, vulnerable child. So it's not uncommon for it to go on. But I think they are talking more like kids who need to bring a stuffed animal to school, mm-hmm. like that kind of serious attachment that ends between two and five. But then you might have a favorite stuffed animal that you sleep with or a favorite doll or that kind of thing or right. favorite plastic water bottle, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so I do remember favorite stuffed animals from when I was a little older. And then every once in a while, I can't remember if it's here at my house or at my parents' house, I come across a brown, sweet brown teddy bear missing an eye and I'm like, oh, it's my teddy. And my sister will go, that's my teddy. (laughs) And I'm like, what? So I don't know if I'm manufacturing my own memories of that teddy or taking hers on or if she is, but I will lay in traffic for that teddy. Let me tell you what. (laughs) He belongs to somebody. He belongs to somebody and he's so sweet and he looks like the cover of a child's book of like, aww, Adventures of Teddy. Like it's so sweet, you know, like like the Velveteen Rabbit. And that's the thing, like when you think about all the instances in literature that, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about comfort items and it's a huge part of childhood. So I think the biggest thing we have to remember is that it is normal. It is healthy. Don't sweat it. If people make fun of your kid for having a binky, tell them to go fly a kite. You know what I mean? Because it's it's supporting their first signs of independence and it's not forever. Mm-hmm. Before we go to break, I just want to say one last thing, the uh, what to expect article. Just as a reminder, the American Academy of Pediatrics says that babies should not sleep with soft objects or toys of any kind. So make sure that any loveys or stuffed animals, especially for those little, little ones, stay out of the crib mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for safe sleep. So I just want to make sure I say that. Plastic water bottles they didn't talk about, but I assume also don't have eh. them in the crib. <laughs> More than anything, is going to wake everybody up. <laughs> we'll be right back. Stick around. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome back to Toddler Purgatory. We are talking about all things stuffies, loveys, passies, binkies, boopies, boppies, all the things that help calm and nurture our children outside of us. Yes. And give them comfort and love. Because not everybody wants to breastfeed until almost the age of three, like I no. did. No, we don't want to do that. Or my grandmother, who breastfed my dad. Till he was almost sick. It's all good. It's all good to each their own. It's all good. It's to all good to own. each their own. And I say, Grandma Rose. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> Girl. So you have a kid who maybe an, even a nine-month-old or 10-month-old, or in Blair's son's case, 18 months, you're starting to be like, oh boy, oh, they're getting a little attached to this. What can we do? What can we do to kind of set yourself up for success? If you're at the beginning stages of it, then... You can, this is from the what to expect article, set limits for it. So they say, reserve it for you, say only at home. And they also acknowledge this is easier to do if the attachment is new. If they're bringing that, you know, stuffed animal everywhere and suddenly you're like, only at home, they're going to lose their S, right? (laughs) So yeah, so if you can start early with that and say, oh yeah, you can absolutely have this at home and then say, oh, time to get in the car. Let's leave bananas at home. Bananas, I assume, is the name of your stuffed monkey. Because if it's not bananas, it's a real missed opportunity, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Also, keep it clean. And they say, again, easier to do. If you start from the early stages of your baby's devotion, wash it often before the baby becomes as attached to its smell as they are to its sight and feel. Oh, wow. I mean, I have to admit, I have seen in my day some danky stanky (laughs) lovies. I've seen some dang stags and like the people who have like the blankets that just unravel to like nothing. Yep. And they have not been washed in like 32 years. Because they won't let them. I get it. I understand it. But whoosh kadoosh. I don't want to get away for that. British dank. Well, you know, that's one way to have your kid get over the comfort item is to just have it completely disintegrate in front of you. Because <laughs> like, what can you do? What can you do? And they'll be sad for a couple of days, but they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, of course, is you can save a spare. So if you invest in a duplicate lovey to keep it in reserve, then you can swap it out when you need to wash one. So they not only do they wear evenly, but again, you're fighting that thing of the attachment also being attached to smell. Mm-hmm. You have a backup in case you fly in from Germany and can't find Teddy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Peggy Chuck missed opportunity there. Yeah. And then you can just rotate them. You can just keep rotating them, mm-hmm. which will help keep it clean. And, you know, you always have another one. What about if it's like a rare thing? What if they get attached to like, we have a couple of like our friends in Seattle made mm. this great stuffed thing called, they named it Augustus. We call it Gus. It has a little crown. It's a, like a sweet stuffed kind of pillow slash animal. It's awesome. And as I said, my son doesn't really get attached. But if he got attached to Gus, I'd have to call our friends, Mimi and Philip, and be like, guys, we got to get Gus on the assembly line because... <laughs> We have an attachment. We got to back up. We got to back it on up. 
Yeah, I've actually seen on like, I follow like Facebook mommy groups and I have seen them like post ads like, oh yeah, does anyone have this? I've been looking on Amazon, eBay. Yes. It's, they no longer make them. I need this. Please help. Yes. I have also seen that for dogs <laughs> where they're like, woo, Coco is not himself. I have to find another pink run of the mill. Easter Bunny from 2017. Mm-hmm. Somebody please help. And sometimes, and of course, you know me with the internet videos, if they film when they actually do have that bunny come in from somebody who they got it from on a Facebook group and Coco gets so excited. Oh, yeah. I just weep. I weep. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I once saw this dog had an attachment to a Gumby, like a Gumby stuffy. Oh, sure. And his owner dressed up like Gumby. And came through the door, and this dog lost its mind. Like, lost it. It was so cute. Not like in a bad way, but like... I was going to say, did he attack the parent? I hope not. <laughs> no, it was like, it was like, oh my God, Gumby has come to life and live with us. <laughs> it was so adorable. Dogs are magic. Dogs are magic. So here you are, and the time has come. Now, a lot of times they say that the time has come when kindergarten... Mm. For a lot of kids, it's going to be either preschool or generally kindergarten where the school or teachers may discourage mm-hmm. people bringing stuff from home, which is an interesting thing to think about in times of COVID as well. True. They're like, nobody can bring anything, just yourself and your clothes. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> Understandably so. So here are some tips from an article on parents. You know, we love parents. Six tips for weaning your child's comfort object. And look, it's going to take some time. So buckle up in the patient car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's going to take a little while. The first thing is to time it right. Marie Calpado, PhD, who's an assistant psychology professor at Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester, Mass. Home or close to Wachusett Mountain. Oh. The song goes, Wachusett Mountain skiing minutes away. Something like that. And one time <laughs> I was traveling after college in Zermatt, Switzerland, and I was skiing with my friend and we're skiing down this beautiful, easygoing slope and we're in Switzerland. And from next to me, I hear another skier start to pass me and she's singing, wah, wah, what she said. No way. Mountain skiing minutes away. And I went, what? And of course, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm from Rhode Island. And she's like, I'm from Worcester or wherever she was from. But it was so funny. I was like, the world is small, y'all. They're up in the Swiss Alps just singing about Massachusetts. And I'm messing up the song. So on the break, I'm going to look up the song because I know I'm missing one little part of it. And those of you from Massachusetts are like, girl, you're missing this part of the Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. It, so time it right. Don't take that cherished blanket or bear or whatever right before the beginning of daycare because they're going to lose their minds and it'll add to their fear and insecurity. Mm -hmm. So if your kids start in school in September, spring or early summer is a good time to begin the transition. Even I would say like what helped us to with getting rid of the pacifier was we then went on another trip later on in life, cut to, and it was like, you can only have it here. You can only have it now. You can only have it you know, then. So it was like when something was different, when he didn't have his regular routine and like it was vacation and he had things to distract him. 
because he wanted to go to the hotel pool or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's like what we were reading about in our chores, like doing chore list and response. When is my kid old enough to do chores episode? We said the same thing, that it's often good to start it at a time or right after a time like a vacation where their routine has already been disrupted. Right. So if everything's new and everything's exciting, I think that's a great point, Blair, about distraction. Mm -hmm. It might be a good time to start weaning them off of it. I love that. Totes. Another tactic for helping them out when the time comes, they're going to ask why, why you might have some tears, right? So give them a reason for it. Say, you're going to a big kid's school now, so maybe it's time to leave Bunny at home. She'll be here Mm. waiting when you get back. (laughs) Now, this is a great idea. They also say, this is a parent's article, little rituals like having them tuck their stuffed animal into bed before they leave the house. Oh, make sure they're okay. Make sure they're okay, and they'll know right where they'll be when they get back. Mm -hmm. Or fasten it into the car seat when they're dropped off at preschool. Oh, yeah, that's cute. That'll slowly help to make the goodbye less painful and just be sympathetic because you can imagine how hard this is for them. Right? Yeah. I mean, our little babies. It's so hard. It's tough. But then it's also like that idea too is then getting into the idea of empathy. Again, empathy, taking care of something, being responsible for something. Yes. So that kind of like, I don't know, like you can kind of flip it on its head and turn it into like a life lesson. Yeah. I love that. And also from what you just said is our own empathy, Mm -hmm. like taking a step back and being like, "Are these buddies are giving up something very, very important to them. It's just a stuffed bunny to us. Right. But to them, it's one of the most consistent things in their life that provides them comfort, security, you know, maybe some confidence. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Oh, buddy. Another thing they said, which is what you already said, Blair, which is perfect. Take baby steps to start to slowly take it away from them. For instance, just what you did, tell your child he can have his lovey at home and in the car, but not at the grocery store or the park. Maybe compromise with them, Have, but they really want to bring their blankie to school. Okay, you can do it for a week, but you have to leave it in the cubby during the day, and then you can have it after school. And then talk to them about it. If they're starting to see that they have confidence or can cope without it, maybe say, ooh, do you feel brave enough to leave it at home? You know? And so it's like little baby steps. And of course, you know, you can always use a star chart, even though it doesn't work in my house. (laughs) <laughs> my son's like, nah, I'm good. I'm like, ugh, for everything. Yeah, it's starting to work. It's working for us. Which one? For what? Star chart. What are you using it for? For getting ready in the morning. Oh, because gosh. it used to be like, lax daisies. Yeah. And then I did a chart. You get 20 minutes for breakfast. You get five minutes for getting dressed. You get three minutes for brushing your teeth, washing your face. And you get four minutes to put your jacket and shoes on. And then I have a timer. And then if they do it, they get a star for each of those things? Yes. And is there reward the star or do you have an end of day reward? Well, he gets a green dot. So at school, they do a behavioral thing where it's like green is good. Yellow is like warning. Red is bad. So I have, if he does all of the things on time, he gets green dots. If he doesn't make it in on time, but there was a good effort, he gets a yellow. And if he did not make it in time and there was like, yeah. you know, issues, it's red. And then... If he does all of those and they're green, at the end of the week, he gets a star. And each star is a dollar. So it's like $4 a week. Hey, that's good. I'll do it. I'll have a star chart for your house. Come on. I need my $4. That's a latte. Just tell your son, that's a latte. Oh, I have. I break down all the things that he can get. That is so funny. All the things he can get for me. (laughs) But yeah, you can do that. Use a star chart if it works for your kid. It kind of works for my kid. He doesn't have the long view. 
So if I'm like, okay, if you earn 15 minutes of TV time by getting all 10 stars today or 10, you know, stamps or whatever for each task, then you have this weekend, you can watch, if you get three of those, that's two episodes of Power Rangers, you know? And he's just like, yeah. does not care. Cause in the moment he'd rather lay on the floor and pretend his legs don't work. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's fine in our house, guys. Everything's fine. <laughs> Sidebar, his legs do work. So their suggestion is award a star for each day your child doesn't take his lovey to school and a small toy prize at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. That's cute. I like that. Mm -hmm. Also, you can offer a substitute. This may not work for all kids, but some kids are content with a replacement for their lovey, such as a note, a family photo, or something that's special to you or to your family in some way that they get to bring instead, maybe have in their pocket, which is pretty cute. And then there is one suggestion that made me laugh. It says, or if your little one clings to something like a blanket, ask her whether you can cut it into progressively smaller pieces. Oh. <laughs> I was like, the Wait, thing what? they love most in the world. <laughs> Just chop it up. Chop it up. I guess it's, that truly is the blanket thing though. It's, it wouldn't, obviously wouldn't work for a stuffed animal. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one study referenced in one of the articles where they were talking about adults who had comfort items as children and they charted their stress levels when they were cutting up pictures, <laughs> photographs with scissors of just regular teddy bears, just teddy bears that like, cut this up, cut this up. And then when they gave them a picture of their teddy bear, their comfort item from when they were children, oh, no. their stress levels rose as they cut up the photograph of the teddy bear. Not even the teddy bear. I am sure. Yeah. I am so sure. That makes See? lots of sense. Yeah. That makes lots of sense. So sure. Ask your kid if you can cut up the blanket. If I were you, I'd just wait till it disintegrated. <laughs> or you could also like, you can make it into something else. Like make it into a pillow maybe or. Oh, that's a cute idea. You know, or make it into like, cut it up, make it into an outfit for it. A stuffed animals or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or something for their backpack. You know how kids love those charms and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. To hang off their backpack or like a, yeah, something like that. That's a good idea. Also, they say don't punish or embarrass your child. For sure. For clinging to a lovey. For sure. Yeah, they might grow even more attached to it. So, hey, guess what just backfired, mom? You getting upset. Good job, mom. So don't do it. They might get more. Good, good job, mom. No, we're just kidding. Please don't judge yourself. But try not to punish or embarrass them for clinging to a lovey. It's so normal, everybody. So normal. And if, you know, your husband gets upset because <laughs> your son wants to bring, you know, his teddy bear to a ball game, just be like, hey, tough. <laughs> tough. That is. In the article, they said, just remind him of all the famous jocks who wear their lucky old socks to games. That sounds gross. And I did not know that. Or their jocks. Whether it's socks or jocks. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> no, thank you. Either way, Stank City. No, thanks. <laughs> Welcome to Stank City. <laughs> and also, hey, listen, when a stressful time comes, your kid might regress. We know this, right? Of course. And need that lovey again. It's all good. Please don't get upset. Don't make a big deal out of it. The big thing is like, kind of be chill. Like, don't take it too seriously. Don't, you know, make fun of them. Not that you would ever make fun of them, but don't, you know, punish them or make them feel bad about it. If they have a loss in the family or they move or they have the family has a new baby or whatever, they might need that comfort item again. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And then you can just start the gradual uh, weaning process again and probably be a lot easier this time. It might get easier and easier the more that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our buddies. You know, there was something I was watching. By the way, whenever I say I read something or I watch something, it's usually from the gram. <laughs> yeah, well, that's research. I say that to my husband. He's like, when were you last reading an article? I'm like, <laughs> I read a blurb of it. Okay. I read it. It's a little thing that's called a meme. None of your business. Watch yourself, sir. 
But I saw some of the, maybe it's on Busy Toddler or Big Little Feelings, and they had like uh, the kids who were attached to past, like deeply attached to pacifiers. Yeah. They had like a thing where they were buried it. It was like, I don't know. I shouldn't have even mentioned it without looking it up. But it well, was, listen, hmm. we're going to take a break. Why don't you look it up? See if you can find it. Let me see. And I'm going to look up the Wachusett theme song. They got to work cut out for us. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Why, why, watch you sit, watch you sit mountain, mountain skiing, minutes away. There it is. Welcome back, everybody. I had to look it up on YouTube, which don't tell my friends from Rhode Island because they'll be like, you had to look up the Watch You Sit Mountain theme song on YouTube. What is wrong with you? You've moved away. You're soft. really moved. You got soft. turned soft. Yeah, it only took 22 years for me to turn soft since moving away. <laughs> I can't believe I couldn't remember it. But can you imagine being in Zermatt, Switzerland and just hearing that song? That is crazy. I would have caused an avalanche. <laughs> Why? Because you would have been so excited? I would have been like buckled over my skis like, what? <laughs> like... I did kind of freak out. It was really fun. And the woman was like, hey, she was like, I don't know. She was much more chill about it. I was like, ah! maybe that's because she was more chill as a person. And I never have chill. So chill what? Here we are. <laughs> chill who? Um, so comfort items. I really like this is my takeaway from this, especially as a parent of someone who, you know, was one of the 40 percent or so that didn't really need it. Oh, and I wanted to say one other thing, too, about it. So don't worry about it if your kids need it. It's going to be fine. It's all good. Like either way, it's like, it's all good. It might feel like a big deal right now, but I guess in life, you know, we have to kind of step back and look at it from an aerial view and like, it's fine. It's giving them comfort, confidence, security, calmness, a lot of C's, a lot of C words. 
But also, this was another thing I forgot to mention. Because you were talking about that story about coming over from Germany. But in Germany, the circle of kids all had their comfort item. Mm -hmm. That was another thing I read was that they're wondering why this happens. It might have been in the La Leche League article. They're wondering whether, you know, what are the causes for comfort items? And one theory was that Western culture or Western societies, which don't have sleeping essentially en masse, like all the family sleeping together in one area or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Do those kids need it more? And they said, you know, some PhDs and doctors do theorize that that may be something. But it's interesting to think about in Germany, specifically, it's the military community. So that consistency of that comfort item makes a lot of sense. But it's also interesting to think that Germany is part of that Western culture where, you know, overwhelmingly so, you know, many parents don't co-sleep. Those are children who sleep alone. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it's all these different ideas about what causes it, what doesn't cause it. And ultimately, we don't know. We don't know. Deep down, we don't know. There's a lot of theories. And a lot of them sound good. In the long run, it all kind of makes sense. Yes. Yes. It all does. I figured out the whole burying the pacifier. Oh, yes. That you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Is that is the idea of like the pacifier fairy coming every night to give a treat or a goodie to the child for not using their passy. And then, and you do this for like a few you know, weeks, days, whatever. And then the final time that the pacifier fairy comes, they bring like a nice big treat of some sort. And then you go in the backyard and you bury the pacifier together. No kidding. Because that's where the pacifier fairy then goes and she like gets the pacifier and she brings it to other babies who need them. Okay, that's cute. Listen, somebody came up with it and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because I thought I would have to go there. Thank God I didn't. But so wait, I have a question. Or perhaps just a clarification. So do you bury it after you get the gift? Because I feel like if my son got the gift first, he'd be like, <laughs> you're not getting my password. I think the idea is that you get the gift uh-huh. for not using the passy. And then like the last gift is like, this is the night. The fairy's bringing you a nice big treat. And then we're going to give the passy. We're going to bury it. Give it to her because she will get it. She needs it. She needs to take it. I'm not going to lie. That's very cute. It's cute, right? Also, it's a little bit witchy, and I like a little bit witchy. The other thing, and this is kind of like hardcore, but I kind of love because I'm a little hardcore. Sure. Is just when it comes to pacifier, just cut that tip off. So what does that do? It takes away the suck ability. Like the nip. If you cut the tip off, they won't be able to suck on it. It won't stay in their mouths in that way. What if it's one of the big ones? Then it's like real obvious that it's gone. The big nip. You're thinking that you cut the whole... And then it's just a plastic disc resting on their mouth. No, it's not. It's just the like literally, like think of a pacifier. You're just literally snipping the tip. So it's kind of make a hollow tube as opposed to like the actual thing that they can suck on. Got it. Right. So when they put it in their mouth, it's just like it won't function. Yeah. That's interesting because I feel like there are all sorts of things. You know your kid best, right? You know your kid best. So like, you'll know what the right thing to do is. The biggest thing, I think my biggest takeaway is to make sure that you do it with empathy and patience because it does sound like this is a real important thing to some kids. So whatever you can do to make the transition, the transition into it is them realizing they're their own person. And isn't that what we want for our kids? So the transition out of it 
is them going into the world and realizing they don't need this comfort item anymore. So give it as much patience and love as you do, you know, anything else that we try to in life and use the tactic that works best for you. And of course, in the beginning, when they start to see signs of those comfort items becoming incredibly important to your kid, just get on your Facebook group (laughs) and be like, okay, everybody. Hey there. It's a Velveteen Rabbit from 1927 and I need a duplicate. You're in trouble. You're in lots of trouble. (laughs) I wonder how much, that would be interesting to see like how much parents have paid for dupes that like no longer exist, like eBay. Oh yeah. That might be like a a career in itself. I was going to say a scam. (laughs) A, A total scam. But I bet people have paid some money. Yes. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, buddies, 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 buddies. So let us know. Sound off on social media. You can follow us at hashtag Toddler Purgatory on all social media platforms. Also, we have a great What Fresh Hell Facebook page. We love hearing from you guys. So let us know. What have, maybe you have some tactics that worked for you that we didn't talk about here today. Do share. And we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate this community, our Todd Perg's community. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for being here. Take it easy. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.